And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. And when I saw Warriors-Celtics finals rematch, Jalen Brown probably playing, I thought, you know what? I don't have any better ideas for how to start this podcast. Why don't we just react to the game and cross our fingers we get a good game? Kirk Goldsberry. We didn't get a pretty game, really, but we got a good game. <laughs> a, a game that the Warriors led for most of it, most of the second half. The Celtics offensive rebounding, some timely Marcus Smart buckets in the third quarter. A Jalen Brown tying three crawled their way into overtime. And then they took the lead, and then like 9,000 crazy things happened, and the Warriors almost had a chance to tie the game. By the way, I'm not sure that that wasn't a shot clock violation at the end of the game for Boston, which would have given Golden State like two extra seconds or something to to get a real shot off instead of a Jordan Poole heave. I think there were two separate plays where Al Horford made like a turn-the-clock-back-10-years block, and then the Celtics turned it over instantly out of that on like outlet passes. I don't even know what we're, I, I guess the question I'd start with Kirk is Warriors now 22 and 23, five yeah. and 18 on the road. Are you, are, do you come out of this, you know, the whole broadcast they were talking about, this could be the statement road win for the Warriors. This team still believes it. Chris Haynes did his report about how the Warriors did this final style lineup change. It showed that this was a statement game for them. Are you encouraged or are you discouraged by, by, are, is this like a, there's no such thing as moral victories for the Warriors, but do you come out of this feeling good or better or worse about the Warriors like finding their season? Oh man, until the end, I, I was feeling pretty good about them. I liked the lineup change. I felt like that was going to help them. But Zach, they should have won this game. They should have closed it out in regulation. But to me, it was a poetic failure on the defensive end when you see Jalen Brown that wide open on that possession, down three, hit that tying shot. That's a poetic expression of what's ailed this team all year long and the best reason why they're not who they were last year when they were second on defense, they're 19th this year. They've gotten torched all year. Just on this road trip, I think they gave up 132 to the Bulls the other day. This defense is not the same. So to me, no moral victories for the defending champs. This did have a chance to be a statement win, and they gave it up with a defensive collapse there at the end. Now, the defense hasn't been good. They've been average all year. They did hold Boston to 40% up from the field, 13 of 41 from three. The 18 offensive rebounds, Robert Williams in 27 minutes was huge for them, keeping alive possessions. Even Brogdon snuck in for a couple big offensive rebounds at points in the game. 17 turnovers for Boston is like just eh. It's not great. It's not it's it's not like terrible, terrible, but it's a good number for the Warriors. Um, but you're right, like every time you want to feel good about them, they just can't they on the road they have not been able to string together long enough sequences of clean basketball. This was one of their best games against an elite team that was fully healthy. I I know Jalen Brown had kind of an ugly game coming back from injury, six of 18. Uh, The Bulls game was like, uh, what are they couldn't go two minutes without screwing something (laughs) up on defense, but that Jalen Brown three, you know, you had that one. And I I rewatched it just before we hopped on here because my initial reaction was, did they just fail to just match up after Steph Curry made a layup? And they did. They just they didn't know who was guarding who. They didn't know what they were doing. And Jalen Brown was like, oh, I'm open. Pass me the ball. They had the other one. Remember Steph 
uh, missed a three when they had the lead with like two and a half minutes left, and Tatum just leaked out ahead yeah. of everyone. That's oh, like yeah. that's like amateur hour. That's yeah. amateur hour defense, man. They haven't been able to get enough of those plays ironed out. Uh, in the finals, just for for reference, they beat this team four times, and in, in all four of those games, they held them under a hundred, and that was noteworthy because the Celtics came into the playoffs and into those finals as arguably the best offense in the NBA. That defense last year had Gary Payton, had Otto Porter, had Mike Brown on the bench helping, uh, but it's not the same unit. And I think they had a chance to have a statement win. I think Stan Van was spitting. Uh, Tonight, I think I think he had the stat that this is the third best defense in in the league at home and the third worst on the road. You're right; they almost had a defensive game tonight, but they went with that small lineup, and I, I think they gambled and dared the Celtics, another great jump shooting team, to beat them inside, to beat them with Time Lord, and to beat them with Al Horford, and you know what? And to beat them with rebounds, and you know what, Zach? That's exactly what Boston did. They won the points in the paint by plus twenty two. I think. Uh, Al Horford, as you mentioned, was great all night, uh, both behind the three-point line late, but in the paint. Uh, Time Lord was good in the paint, and they had a huge rebounding margin, Boston did. So I think there was some consequences from that new-look lineup without Looney uh, starting the game, and, and the Boston kind of took advantage of it because they had one of their worst, if not their worst, jump-shooting night of the year tonight, Boston, and that shouldn't be lost here and still beat the defending champs. Yeah, Tatum... And Brown, 15 of 45 from the field. Tatum was 9 of 27, did have 12 free throws, 19 rebounds, played 48 minutes. They combined for 52 points. You normally win if you hold the Jays to to numbers like that. Right. Time Lord, we talked about, 14 and 11. Horford, 20 and 10. Just the old school 20 and 10 for Al Horford. The, 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 the old school big man 20 and 10. Uh, Marcus Smart, I thought, kept them afloat with some jumpers and a post-up over Curry in the third quarter when the game could have gotten away from them. Finished with 18-4-3. Also had the um, up, what were they, up six bizarro turnover at the end of overtime where DiVincenzo hit a three. Then had almost a sequel bizarro turnover where he overthrew Jalen Brown on the sideline. I'm like, are we going to go to double (laughs) overtime? Am I going to keep poor Kirk Goldsberry and poor my producers up till 11 in the morning because the Celtics are going to gag this game away? Um, And on the Warriors side, Steph, 9 of 25, 6 of 18 from 3. Clay was hot early, cooled off late, fouled out of the game. Wiggins had a, a good, solid, you know, defensive game, but 6 of 18. They didn't, they just, no one shot all that well for them. And to your point about the small lineup, I don't know how many minutes it played tonight. That's the pool party lineup. We haven't seen a lot of that lineup. The, the Splash Brothers, Pool, Wiggins, Green. I bet it played more minutes tonight than it did in the entire 2022 finals combined. They only played 10 minutes of that lineup in the finals. And I think that underscores the departure of Otto Porter. Not that Otto Porter has been relevant this season at all. Um, And the absence tonight of Kaminga, who has emerged as a key player for their team. They, They need another like tweener forward guy to keep those Draymond at center lineups from being too, too small. And I think Kaminga is probably the best answer on the team. And Jamichael Green, who's also not playing. I think, yeah, the, I've said all year that the two issues with, with, with Golden State are depth and defense. We've already talked about the defense. But you're exactly right. They had four guys who played 
well tonight, scored 20 points. That's the first time in a long time that Golden State has said that, but it also speaks to a lack of depth uh, in scoring the ball and diversity. And, and as good as, as Looney is, he's not going to give you those kinds of points. So I, I, I one other note, I loved the Al Horford stuff. He emerged as, I think, a folk hero in Boston uh, last playoff run. The Warriors were 4 of 16 when Al was defending uh, as the closest defender tonight, including a Kevin Love-like dance with the greatest shooter of all time at the top of the arc uh, at the end of regulation when Steph... That's right. Terrible shot. It reminded me of Kevin Love dancing for his life at the end of the the Game 7 sequence. Uh, But yeah, Al Horford's defense deserves some love in this performance as well. Are we allowed to call a Steph pull-up three with the game on the line, a terrible shot. Was it really he, a terrible shot? He bobs and weaves and reads his defender's feet and waist in, in, in real time and goes the other way. And in that instance, he made the wrong read. Al was right there with him, leaning in that direction, and that's why it, it looks bad. I'm not allowed, I'm not allowing you, Zach Lowe, to call it a bad shot, though. No way. Well, you called it a terrible shot. Are you just <laughs> saying it looked terrible? Like it, it missed terrible. terribly? It looked terrible. I'm never mad when Stephen Curry takes a three. Case in point, a cool 46-footer to close the first half this evening. How about that? You know, that? It's, fu- it's funny you mention that because often in games like this that come down to the wire, you kind of forget like, oh, that's right. They got three points on a f- on a more than half-court shot at the buzzer. That's that's like one of the reasons we're in this overtime Dude, period right now. I know, you're so, yeah, I know you're not a huge football guy, but they're better about this in football. Whenever a kicker like misses an extra point, like the Cowboys' poor kicker missed four of them this week. Oh, remember that. And it, oh, oh, Jim, remember that extra point? That could be huge later. But yeah, we don't do that. And Steph gave them three extra points. Uh, and with that huge 46 footer, it should be top of mind because that was three points that you couldn't have expected to have. But credit to the Celtics. They won an ugly game against the defending champs and a, a game the defending champs needed to kind of win to get their road trip back in line and, and kind of feel good about themselves going to the second half of the season. You mentioned Horford, uh, two of five from three. The second of those threes, I believe, was on a Tatum... Malcolm Brogdon pick and roll with like a minute 30 left in the game. And I took note of it because I didn't think until really the middle of the fourth quarter, the Celtics were dialed in on offense in the sense of we can't let Jordan Poole just survive out here, hiding over here on Malcolm Brogdon. And when they were hunting uh, Poole and to a lesser extent Curry I didn't think they were doing it in efficient and smart ways mm-hmm. until the middle of the fourth quarter when they got good look after good look some makes some misses dragging those guys into the action in the way that they do when they're humming split actions pick and rolls between Smart and Tatum or Tatum and 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 whoever Tatum and Brown two-man stuff and Tatum rejected that screen drove to the hoop had a lane because they were worried about switching Threw a great cross court pass to Horford. Draymond, who played another great defensive game, was on it. Great closeout. And Al, who doesn't have the quickest release, had to get that baby up fast and got it up. It was like the quickest I've seen Al release a three, <laughs> other than like a buzzer beater situation in like five years. And he made it. And it was, a, I think it put them up four or something at the time. I can't remember what the hell. The, no, it was regulation. So it, it cut the margin maybe to one or something like that. 
Uh, and then Tatum, but how many turnovers did Tatum have? Oh, he almost, had, he almost had the triple double with the turnovers. He almost did the Evan. We called it the Evan turnover triple double back in Cambridge, but uh, he didn't quite pull it off. He had more turnovers than in any game against the Warriors in recent history. I remember looking. And at he up, had that like what was that? And one three with, in like, the last three minutes. That's what I would say about it. Three in the last three minutes of regulation. Zach, not to cut you off, but geez, no. Yeah, one he, of them. One of them was off that. Two of them were off the Horford blocks. Um, one he threw an outlet pass away, another he got poked away from behind by Wiggins after crazy Horford blocks. The one, the other one was with 40 seconds left. Um, and he just like had the ball against Curry and did nothing with it, and then like kind of jumped and lost the ball. And everyone was like, dude, what are you doing? It was a very strange, very strange up and down game for Boston's offense. I didn't, I didn't love their process for a lot of the game, but they grinded out a win. You know, I think in the finals loss against this team, their turnover percentage was 17%, which would have been worse than the regular season last Rockets, year. Turn- Rockets-level turnovers, baby. <laughs> yeah, Rockets-level turnovers. And I, I, it almost started to look like that was going to happen again. Uh, and and you know, it did. And then it came to overtime, and Tatum, to his credit, was just shooting over smaller players. Marcus Smart had a couple buckets in the paint. The, the, the Warriors have a size problem. Uh, you mentioned Kaminga's not playing, Jamichael's not playing, but yeah, they, the, the Celtics kind of deserved this game as sloppy as it was. And they had some bad shooting luck too. Um, Al Horford, by the way, a little trivia for you, Zach, this man made 10 total threes in his first eight years in the NBA. And he's now one of the highest percentage three point shooters in the league. He went to the Brooke Lopez school of metamorphosis, I think, and now is shooting 44% on five attempts per game about. Uh, and I think that's a huge part of of his game and the Celtics game. And those threes, those two threes he had tonight were a huge part of, of this win. It was a weird game. Like, you can tell they're still managing Robert Williams' minutes. Like, he, he was not on the floor for most of the fourth quarter. Then they rested Horford for a bit in overtime. 13 minutes for Grant Williams was kind of interesting. Um and here's where we are in the Western Conference now that this game is over. And obviously there are games pending tonight. We're recording this literally like right after the buzzer. There is now so, – so Utah is now sixth at 24 and 24 at 500. The Pelicans are on a losing stretch. They've lost two in a row and a, you know they, they've been slumping lately. The Kings have now taken third at 25 and 18. One five in a row. 25 and 18. That third seed is in play if the Warriors could ever get on a run, and I'm going to talk about why I'm not unconvinced that they could get on a run, but the Jazz are six at 24 and 24. There is, as of this second, I don't know who the hell is playing later tonight, so whatever, a four-way tie at seven, eight, nine, and 10. All four of these teams are one game under 500. The Wolves, who I think must have won tonight because I think they were one game, two games under. Wolves, 23 and 24. Clippers 23 and 24 just pretending that I guess the standings don't count and I are do they think that they just get the number one seed because they're the Clippers I don't know like what 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 they think is going on Golden State 22 and 23 and the Oklahoma City Thunder who you're about to hear a segment with with Andrew Schlecht at 22 and 23 in the play-in as of today all those teams are tied you shook your head when I thought I still think the Warriors are going to go on not a crazy Warriors run, but I think they have like an eight out of ten in them to get back in the ballpark of like not fighting for their lives. You just you shook your head and you seemed skeptical. One thing that I've learned from from going to Brian Windhorst College is that if you're one of the high profile teams in the NBA, they backload your schedule 
uh, LeBron James has endured an entirely more difficult second half of his season for almost his entire career. Poor, Golden poor State. guy. Can't just can't catch a break. <laughs> can't LeBron catch James. a break. Can't catch a break, folks. Uh, but Golden State has a tough schedule. That's yeah, the they do. Part. They've played they the third easiest schedule. schedule in the league. You're right. And it's coming home to roost with games like tonight. There's a lot of these TNT ESPN games against premier opponents. The other well, thing that they, why you got to throw why you got to throw logic at my at my gut feeling that they have a run in them. Now I no, feel it's now like I, point counterpoint. No, I still think they could do it. When I wrote this column earlier this week, I don't even remember what it was about, Zach. But in the research, I remember. Looking up who was the favorite in Vegas to come out of the West. It was still the Warriors. I think you're right. I think it's it's okay. And they almost beat the Celtics tonight. Now, the thing that I keep hearing in the national media that I do disagree with is this narrative that the West is so bunched up. You just outlined the bottom of it is. But something's happened at the very top that is not bunched up. Oh, they, the, the Nuggets and the Grizzlies are running away from everybody else very fast. I think Memphis is... 11 in a row and they're Denver. now six games up on third. I mean, it's Den- not, it's not even Denver. It's a, one, eight in a row. Yeah. Uh, those teams don't lose. Yeah. They've, they're on a combined 19 game winning streak. Yeah. So, you know, golden state ran away with the West last year. Right. I think. And, uh, I know Phoenix I, did Phoenix was up there, but golden state was two, right. They were one, two. Is that how it ended? I, just I think Golden, Golden State was three off the top of my head. I think they they got out from the three seed. Last I year. want to apologize to the listeners for my short term memory lapses. I think Golden State still has a chance to win the NBA championship. I'll say that uh, to to bolster your earlier point. They can go on a run, um, but it's going to take better defense than we've seen tonight. Uh, why not foul up three in order in in the name of Manu Ginobili? By the way, we have Jalen Brown shooting a wide open three in the last possession of a game. What about all the European wisdom we've learned from fouling when we're up three, Zach? Why not, let alone giving up the wide, just foul the kid. Just don't let him shoot it. What are you going to try to sell me on the metric system next? <laughs> this is America. We play uh, it out. We yeah, play we, it out. It's a game of inches. It's not a game of centimeters. Whatever the uh, hell you guys, whatever the <laughs> hell those people say. Those people, like my wife. Um, uh I don't know too much. I, I think it's too much. T- the conventional wisdom is that's too much time. First of all, you have to be close to Jalen Brown and not <laughs> confused as to Fair. what the hell you're doing. Second of all, I think that's too much time. Conventional NBA wisdom is that's too much time. But to your point, in the Euro League, they do all sorts of stuff with fouls and in the last minute of the game that are uh, that are unfamiliar to the NBA. Memphis was number two last year. Can I make my case for the Warriors winning eight out of ten at some point? Yeah, please do. So all year. They've just been this impossible team to figure out, not really because of the home road splits, although that's weird, but because they have this starting five that has been, for a lot of the season, I think the Nuggets starters have now passed them, but the best lineup in the NBA. How do you have the best lineup in the NBA? And and how are how is that? How are you 22 and 23 with the best Jordan lineup in Poole. the NBA? Jordan well, 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 explain. The Jordan Poole minutes haven't been great. I'll say no, they that. have not. And I think one of the reasons we might have seen that lineup, Poole Party, as as, as you noted, uh, to get him in that sort of core group. I, I go back to the key two things that this team has wrong, depth and defense. The non-Steph minutes have been a disaster. Um, the Jordan Poole minutes have been as earlier in the season. It was the Wiseman minutes were a disaster. Anybody not in that starting group has been – a disaster if you look at their stats. So how do you get there? 
you have a great group of starters and an awful second. All right, unit. so so let me let me push back on you with some data. Data? Are you a data or data guy? I'm not a big numbers guy, Zach. You no, know. no. Do you say data or data? Uh, I say data, 100 percent of the time. I say data too. Data. No, wait. Well, I don't even know what I say now. Data. I think I say data. Star Trek Next Generation. That's data, right? By the way, uh, Alan Siegel at The Ringer, speaking of Star Trek, had a phenomenal piece on the 30th anniversary of the Conan O'Brien monorail episode of The Simpsons. I thought of that because oh. because um, Leonard Nimoy has an incredible cameo in it. Just FYI, I love that episode. <laughs> it was a great piece. It was a joy of my day. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, so, um, so since Steve Kerr started staggering minutes a little bit and, um, and other guys have found their groove... That non-Steph disaster stuff has started to fade away. So as an example, I don't have the exact sample size in front of me, but I know because I looked it up, with Curry off the floor and Poole, DiVincenzo, and Kaminga on the floor. So they're three maybe most reliable reserves. They're now plus three and a half per 100 possessions. With Draymond on the floor and Steph off the floor. Just that simple dichotomy, because he's been one of the guys in those reserve units. For the season, they're now plus two and a half per hundred possessions. So I look at all these numbers, and they all seem good to me, and I'm like, how are they so freaking bad? And not so freaking bad, but how are they 22 and 23? The numbers suggest they're getting a rotation in order. They're coalescing as a team, and maybe it's because this guy's in, then Kaminga's out, then that guy's out, and Kaminga's in, and they just can't get everyone healthy at the same time. But like, that's no one's... No team has everyone healthy at the same time. That's not how the NBA works. But the numbers, I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading them. Maybe no, I just I, have this like Golden State, you know, years of dominance, optimism built into my brain. But I keep, I, I do think they have a run in them at some point. But every time I think that, they have a game like tonight where they should have won and they didn't. I think you nailed it, actually. I think if they can get a rotation largely of veterans, uh, Guys, you can trust. And to Michael Green gets him a little bit closer to that when he's back. Da Vincenzo's been good. But one of the things they were trying to do earlier in the season was Moses Moody, James Wiseman, Jonathan Kamenga, Jordan Poole. Those were the reserves that I'm speaking of. That's how they got into this hole, despite the incredible Steph Curry plus minus stuff. If they're changing the, the back end of that rotation, remember, there, there's no Otto Porter. There's no Gary Payton. Um, yeah, those guys have played like 100 combined minutes this year. Right. And I think Golden State is quick to say, hey, we, what, what, should we have kept those? This isn't the Brunson mistake, guys. These guys Ooh. haven't played basketball this year. The These Brunson guys. mistake, good band name. Some some <laughs> aspiring Dallas area band should name their band the Brunson mistake. Uh, Denton, Texas has some great indie rockers that I hope will pick up on that. Uh, the the Brunson mistake. But yeah, I think if you talk to people around Golden State, they're like, hey, yeah, Otto, we miss him. We really miss Gary Payton, but those guys aren't playing basketball right now. So if they can get this veteran rotation, I think there is a run there. The schedule is working against them. Uh, the strength of schedule and, and, and some of these road splits are scaring me still. Uh, tonight was a, a promising start, but it would have been better if they just closed it out in regulations, Zach. And I believe the Clippers actually, to your schedule point, have the hardest schedule um, left in the Western Conference or have played the easiest or maybe both. I know they've played the easiest. Um, and yeah, I mean, are, can they, can their star players play a back to back once? Is that allowed one just one back to back? It's hard 
it's hard to get into the Clippers and I don't know, maybe they're going to go on a run themselves, but yeah, it doesn't seem like their defense has played well uh, enough to get anywhere recently. Before we go, any other Celtics takeaways? I mean, kind of a sloppy, messy performance, but one of the trend lines of this team has been um, got off to this incredible offensive start. Like, Oh my God, are they going to be the greatest offense ever kind of settled back into just being the best or second best offense in the NBA. Um, defensively they're now like sixth or seventh overall and they've they've tightened up and have started to look like the defensive monster they were for a lot of last year coinciding in part with Robert Williams coming back thought they played a, a pretty solid defensive game tonight um any any we focus a lot on the Warriors any Celtics takeaways that, that you, you you had yeah they, they they won an ugly game against a great opponent a team that beat them in the finals i think that they have two things that the warriors don't uh which is a promising sign depth and defense they have the ability to have somebody like al horford go out and win a game um you know brogdon played well tonight they can they can use grant williams they cannot use grant williams and as you mentioned as time lord got back in the lineup a lot of us predicted this uh their defense is right back to where you would think it is they remain arguably the finest two-way team in 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 a league that has a lot of good teams right now. Um, so I think, you know, what can you say? All systems go for Boston. That's what I would say. Yeah, I thought I thought they were a little jittery and uneven on offense tonight. It had the feel of a big, big game between two good defensive teams who can dial it up. I mean, the Warriors can still dial it up when they need to. Um, but they still won the game. All right, Kurt Goldsberry, uh, Thank you for staying up late with the Low Post Podcast. Thank you to uh, Jalen Brown and the Warriors for combining to make us stay up even later with overtime. <laughs> Thank you to the Celtics for uh, almost making us go into double overtime and making this podcast even later. But it was a fun game. I'm glad we did this. Me too, Zach. I'll see you late night next time, buddy. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from $25 and under to $100 and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, let's bring in a guy I sneakily like listening to. He probably doesn't know this, but I'm a fan <laughs> of the Saturday Slam and Jam podcast oh. on The Athletic NBA podcast. He hosts other athletic NBA podcasts. He's a podcast guru, 
But more importantly, for our purposes today, he lives in Oklahoma City. He covers the Oklahoma City Thunder. And the Oklahoma City Thunder, despite all the hullabaloo, despite all the hand-wringing, and I was as guilty of it, Andrew Schlecht, as anyone else, about how this is process 2.0. Oh, my God, this team is going to be so bad forever. Look at these rosters they're running out. The Thunder were bad for two seasons. That's it. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. two. They won 44 games in the pandemic season, lost in the first round on the biggest postseason play James Harden has made since 2012. Congratulations, yeah. James Harden, for blocking <laughs> Lou Dort in the first round of a playoff series nobody remembers. Then they had two bad seasons, and now, Andrew, we wake up today on Thursday, January 19th. They are tied for eighth in the Western Conference with a an irresistible bit of symmetry. They are tied with the Los Angeles Clippers. They're partners on the other end of a seismic trade, one of the most seismic trades in NBA history, a, a trade that I think about a line from a front office executive who is not involved on a totally separate team told me in the wee hours of that morning, this could go down as one of the worst trades of all time and a trade that the Clippers absolutely had to make given the context. And I always thought that was a perfect summation of things. Andrew, I, I really appreciate you joining us. I couldn't think of anyone else. I wanted to talk Thunder basketball uh, about with more. And what, what I was really excited to do was all these discussions about the Thunder for 10 years since the Harden trade have been about these big picture tectonic plates of the NBA shifting, these huge mega players. This team has lost or traded three MVPs and a guy who finished third in MVP one year for the Thunder, Paul George. And they were bad for two years and now they're back. And now what we do is we get to talk about how this team is playing on the court because they're 11 and five in their last 16 games in that span, the ninth best offense. And the fourth best defense. You must be just loving every second of this. This is this is even beyond your expectations for this season, correct? Oh, way beyond. I picked them to win 27 games. I thought they'd be back in the lottery. I thought it's like, okay, we're going to dip one more time back into like try to get a top five pick one more time, and then it'll be go time. And really, Shea and Giddy and Kenrich Williams, man. like th- Those guys have just taking hold of this season. It's like, we don't have a center? Who cares? Like We're going to play swarming defense, and we're going to be sharper than you. Uh, they're going to just be relentless in the way they attack the paint. And they came onto the court last night with a confidence I hadn't seen before. They played the Pacers last night, no Halliburton. It honestly felt like a game that they could, they could lose this one. I mean, they lost to Charlotte on the road recently. They lost to Orlando on the road earlier, and you're like, okay, Maybe this is a game where it's like, okay, yeah, they're still young. They're still developing. But they stepped on the court, and within two and a half minutes, they were up 17-1. to one. Curtains. <laughs> it, was unbe- it was unbelievable. And it really was different in the way they carried themselves. And I had to ask several people, like, am I making this up? Is this, like, all in my head that they just are carrying themselves differently on the court? And they were. Like, Shea had this confidence walking on the court. Giddy... Giddy's starting to get a little nasty, and it's kind of awesome with the way that he's carrying himself. And so last night, really, it felt a little bit like a moment with the way that they just walked onto the court, and they're like, no, like this Pacers team isn't doing anything to us. No, it was over instantly, and the Pacers made like a cute, you know, the second quarter was a slog. I got within like four or five, but you just like, yeah. you knew what was going to happen. So in mid-November, 
in my 10 things column, item number two was the Thunder have been so confusing for these two plus years. At that, This is what I wrote at that time. Because Mark Dagnall, who's a really good coach and is doing Dagnalt. some really interesting things, we're going to – I'm never going to say it right. I'm sorry. Coach, <laughs> say say Dagnall. It's Dagnault. Don't, don't listen to the broadcast because they call him like Mark Dagnault or Dagnault. It's Dagnault. Okay. See, the broad, so I'm blaming the broadcast because that's – Blame the broadcast. I just assume that they've done their homework and they've got it right because I have clearly not done my homework. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's a really good coach. He's changing rotations all the time. Guys are in and out of the lineup within games. But I wrote in November, they're on to something with Shea, Giddy, Dort, and good Jalen Williams. Actually, both Jalen Williams are yeah. pretty good, but wing Jalen yeah. Williams. J-Dub. Yeah. I can't get into this nickname thing. But wing Jalen Williams. Big hair <laughs> Jalen Williams. They both um, have big hair. Yeah. Um, and they're on to something with this four perimeter players, three of whom are pretty big for their positions, like big wings who can switch, who are ferocious off the bounce, ferocious defensively, and just yeah. plop a big man into the middle of that. At that time, it was Poku a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, if you look at the numbers, when when it's Kenrich Williams, it's unbelievable. When it's Mike yep. Muscala, it's unbelievable. Um, when it's Yuma Yori, it's unbelievable. That's been a very limited sample size. When it's big mm-hmm. Jalen Williams, it's not very good. And when yeah. it's like any of their other bigs, it's not very good. But they're on to something with that roadmap of those four guys. And let's switch. Let's drive and kick and drive and drive and drive and drive. The, the shooting is is iffy. But all those players are super creative off the dribble. They all compete on defense. They're super switchable. Um, do you do you think that was the roadmap like coming into the season? Did they just sort of get there almost by accident? I mean, wh- how did they arrive at this? I mean, Mark is is kind of crazy with his rotations in, in an attempt to figure out what works. I mean, to start the season, I mean, you're like two weeks into the season. It's like, man, we have like one lineup that's played five minutes. Yeah, it's like, like Jeremy, Jeremiah Robinson Earl disappeared for a week and now he's playing 30 minutes. Like, what's going on? Yeah, and that that's still happening. Like, Darius Baisley was gone for, I think, three weeks. And then it's like, oh, now he's back in the rotation again. And it's it's just an ongoing thing. And it really is just in an effort to see what works and what doesn't. And I think that they've figured out. Like I think that you know how they're going to start next season, barring something crazy in the lottery if they're there. It's Shea, Giddy, Dort, J-Dub, and Chet. Oh and you can God. see... Chet's sitting there on the bench <laughs> reminding me of his existence Like every time they pan over there. And I'm like, I said to Simmons last week, I cannot wait to watch this team next season. And he said, next season? They might make the playoffs this season. And I was like, my brain hadn't quite arrived there. But now it's, I mean, who do you trust among this like Minnesota, Portland, Phoenix, Lakers, Clippers, morass of disappointment? Like, who do you really trust? Who's going to put it together and like outplay the, you know, the Thunder are going to play hard every night. But again, continue. So so this is the roadmap now going forward. Yeah, without a doubt. And the way that they play with Muscala in there, I think they're a plus 18. It's crazy. Muscala out there. You're like, hey, by the way, they're going to add a big that can shoot, can create, can actually protect the rim. Like, Mascala is just a guy that spaces the floor, does his job, and is just so, so nice and kind to everybody around him. Like, those are his jobs. And he's very good at it. But we're talking about the number two pick. Like, that, that, this to me is, is where they're headed. 
And I just, I'm so curious to see how it looks. But even this year, with the Kenrich lineup, and it's only 100 minutes per cleaning the glass, but it's plus 10. And you can see that. They're starting games so much better. And it's the way that Kenrich communicates. I mean, he's, he is the vocal leader of this team in a lot of ways. And it's just funny how they got to this place with him. Because he was just a throw-in in the Stephen Adams deal. He had a non-guaranteed contract, gets to the Thunder, and he's just one of the more likable, down-to-earth guys. He works hard. Uh, I remember talking talking to Mark Degnall about him early on. He was like, if you're not working, Kenner's is going to grab you by the collar and let you know, like, here's how you need to be a professional. And he's been so key. And he he's somebody that's been in trade rumors basically since he's played well. And he said no. His representation have said no. The Thunder have said no. It's all we want him here. He wants to be here. He said he wants to retire here. He said, I want to retire here. And he was 27 years old. I was like, man, do, like, do you're, you have like the profile of a journeyman. And like, this is Oklahoma City. But he, he's like, I want to retire. He wants to be like Nick Collison 2.0. And it, 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 he, he's been tremendous. Um, it's funny you mention that because he was in, I write this column every year called my Luke Walton All-Stars, which is kind of for yeah. like journey, journeymen who hit that year. And I wrote about him, I think when he was with New Orleans, actually. He wasn't even, I'm not sure if he was even with the Thunder. He might have been with the Thunder by then. Um, and I talked to him about it. No, he was with the Thunder because he was talking about how much he loved Oklahoma City when I interviewed him. And then I started like every team that was good and had a hole at like 3-4. Like Phoenix was my big one. I was like, Phoenix should go out yeah. and get Kenrich Williams. And every time people around Kenrich Williams would call me and were like, he stopped doing this. He doesn't ever want to leave. They want him to be Nick Collison 2.0. He wants yeah. to be Nick Collison 2.0. And he's like, he's a good, he's just a good player. But yeah, Chet will get thrown, thrown in there. And, um, and that's super duper exciting. And so 20, 22 and 23, I think they're maybe playing a little over their heads. Like if you look at the three point shooting both ways, it's probably going to regress. Uh, other teams will hit more. They'll hit fewer. The shooting mm-hmm. in that starting five is, is not great, but um, it's, it's, it's a formula that even if they regress a little bit in that sense, like it, I, this, nothing about this really feels totally unsustainable to me. Like I think they're just a solid team. Yeah, they, they don't. The guys that don't shoot well don't take a ton of threes either, and so you, you wonder about that. And then they're just relentless attack of the rim. I mean, they just don't stop, and they're cutting and they're moving, and it's it, they're really difficult to guard. Half court in transition, they're just a difficult team to defend because everybody is basically six six to six eight, and you don't know who plays what position. I remember when Kenrich lined up for the first time to jump center. They all kind of looked at each other like, is this is this what's supposed to happen? And Kenrich was like, I guess. Like, all right, here we go. And the, it's a really fun team to watch. And I, I do think that they're defensively there's a ton of sustainability there just because they continue to collapse on anybody that hits the paint. They are out-efforting people is, is what's happening. And then offensively, yeah, I mean, Josh Giddy has been really, really good. I mean, he's basically 50, 40, 90 since December 1st. And he's gotten, he's gotten better. That You have the whole Chip England angle. Like that's, it's great. But for him to go from what he was last year to 50, 40, 90 over this like pretty decent stretch, it's like, okay, 
I'm kind of waiting for something to change there with Giddy. So that's that's one way. But like Shea, I mean Shea's only shooting 34% from three. I mean that that could get better. He doesn't take a ton of them. I do uh, like that Shea has turned his long two into a little bit more of a weapon this season. He can hit it one on one. He can hit it fading away. I think that's an important shot for him. You mentioned Chip England. For people who may not know, Chip England is known as the shooting coach, the shooting doctor. I think Chip would push back on that. He he he's a coach. Coach. He's not just like a shooting coach. Uh, yeah. He was with the Spurs forever and ever and ever. He's credited with Tony Parker and Kawhi Leonard and all that. And then very sneakily and quietly this summer, after a million years with the Spurs, after a million teams are trying to go tried to go out and get him, the Thunder hired him, and that had the and. God knows Presti will never talk about it, and God knows Chip will never talk about it. I mean, getting those guys to talk about anything other than, you know, whatever Sam's favorite rock band or hip-hop group of the day happens to be from the 80s is is pulling teeth. But that had the feel to me of something that had been talked about for a long, long time. Like, could sure. we make this happen? Could we blah, blah, blah. So anyway, that's the Chip England reference. Giddy and Jalen Williams. Giddy was number six, right? And Jalen yeah. Williams was number 12. 12, yeah. For years, the Thunder kind of over-indexed toward everything but shooting. Just length, 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 length. Not a lot of feel, not a lot of shooting. We don't need to go through the names. This, these guys have length, plenty of it, but they yeah. are such smart players, both of them. They had a play last night against the Pacers. People should look it up. Giddy had the ball at the top of the key. Jalen Williams was to his left on the wing, and he cut back door. And Jalen Williams was not open, like not open. The defender was yeah. right on him, except the defender had his head turned away from Giddy. And Josh Giddy is like, there may not be a passing lane, but if you're not looking at me, I'll just throw the ball right by your ear. There's a passing lane if you're not looking at me. And Jalen Williams knew the pass was coming, cut, pass arrived, laid it up and in. They are playing sensationally well. And both of those picks, bang for the buck are going to be fantastic, fantastic picks. I mean, Giddy's only in his second year. If he keeps playing like this, he's going to be like, he's going to get a, like a max or close to a max when his rookie deal is up. He's been sensational. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's the thing you hit on it, that the Thunder have moved toward. It was, like you said, like athleticism. They took a lot of raw players that needed some offensive development. And now, unless you can make a decision with the basketball, you're not going to be on the Thunder. You just won't. So if you want to try to predict who the Thunder are going to draft, make sure they can make a decision. If they can, they're going to have a chance to be on the Thunder. If not, no way. I mean, you look at a guy like Jabari Smith, who I think a lot of people would look at and say, like, oh, fits perfectly with what OKC would want to do. They have all these creators. Like, all he'd have to do is hit spot-up threes and play defense and protect the rim. Like, he can do that. It's like, can he make a decision? Nope. Well, not going to be a Thunder player. I mean, that's just the way that it's going to be. They want all five guys to be able to make a decision when the ball hits their hands. And that's, that's Jalen Williams. That's Usman Jang, who has been out with a wrist injury. And that's why they and, – and size for position. Those are the two things they really want. If you can get both size for position and decision-making, I mean, that's what they're going for. And luck – I mean, they – it's not lucky because they made the trade for Shea, but the fact that he fit that mold already was just a great starting point for them. And just what he's become has been ridiculous. But yeah, they, they do it on defense too. Like it's not just sure. you know team teams switch right. Like the Thunder switch, and when we think switch, we think like okay, here comes the ball screen. We both know that we're going to switch. Let's switch. 
they do that, but they also switch like in the flow of just semi-random NBA actions. Like they'll peel off. One guy will peel off to a three-point shooter, and the guy that's on him will read that and peel inside. Like Josh Giddy last night, there were a couple of possessions where he guarded three guys in two, literally two seconds. It was like boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom, boom. They just feel it really well. And I wonder if you can speak to this. This is clearly a Dagnall thing. Um, they have really made hay with, and initially it was just out of timeouts, and now it's all the time. Guard, 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 wing, pick and rolls of like every single yeah. combination you can possibly imagine, including with Shea as the screener. To some degree, that's necessitated by like if we're going to play four of these guys and a couple of them have shaky jump shots, we got to be unpredictable so they just can't load up, go under every Josh Giddy screen, whatever. But they started doing it out of timeouts, and now it's just these random like oh we're gonna run a dort sga pick and roll but sga is not actually gonna set the screen he's gonna fake it and fade out and the defense is gonna be like wait what and, and by that time dort's at the rim i don't know have you talked to the coaches about that because they if i bet if i looked it up on second spectrum they lead the league and guards setting screens it, it's it's a thing they've leaned like further into than almost any team i can remember yeah we talked to mark about this early on in the season and he said that he thinks that Shea is the best screener on the team, which is not maybe the greatest thing for some of their bigs because, I mean, a guy like Poku is just like a, a really bad screen setter. Um, he's but, like four inches wide. That's why he can't screen anybody <laughs> unless he's illegal. <laughs> oh, poor Poku. I, I saw him kind of limping around the arena last night. I feel bad for him. I hope he gets well soon. Um, but yeah, they you saw it early on. And it the thing that really caught my eye Trey Mann, who hasn't played well lately, he's he's kind of had a weird season, but he actually started the year pretty well. And they would run action where Shea was screening for Trey Mann. And you're like, really? Like, this is what's happening? And it works. I mean, even the lineup data like speaks very positively about Shea and Trey Mann playing together. But it's those wrinkles. And, and part of it is just the willingness from Giddy and from Shea and from J-Dub, just to be willing to be the screener and to be involved in whatever action. Because, I mean, Thunder fans know we had a point guard here once upon a time that only set a screen by accident. You know, it didn't ever really happen with Westbrook. And now to just have a team that's willing up and down the roster to screen for each other in whatever action, you know, Mark says, has been, has been pretty refreshing, and it just makes them so unpredictable. If the NBA were a competition of just who has the best step back three pointer, Trey Mann would like make the semifinals of that competition. It's cr- he opens no up doubt. like fifteen feet of space on these step backs. Like, he doesn't make them all the time, but he's all right at them. It's cr- I, if that if that were the one skill that mattered, he would be a top ten player in the NBA. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know who else's on off numbers are incredible? We we. We need to talk about how they just stole Isaiah Joe. Yeah. The Sixers waived Isaiah Joe because they had 16 players on their roster, and then they waived Charles Bassey to create an open roster spot. The Thunder snapped him up. What is he on? A three-year, $6 million deal. He's shooting yeah. 40-something percent from three. They're plus a million with him on the floor, and the power of him is they have these four wings, guards, whatever that we've talked about, all of whom are so-so shooters. Um, you just replace one of them with a really good shooter, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, this the, the effect of this is crazy. Sixers fans have to be watching this, like, ooh, that kind of hurts. And like, this is just 
this is free money for a Thunder team that has made three huge draft day trades that we're going to talk about in which some young players that they kind of missed out on are doing well elsewhere. Um, some are doing really well for the Thunder. One of them that they got, Usman Jang, is injured. But Isaiah Joe, like, this is a real thing. He's going to be part of their team now, don't you think? He's like, a, he, I don't know if he's core core, but I, I think you have to build out the team thinking he's a rotation player for sure. Yeah, at least for the next couple of years, definitely, with the way that he shot the ball. I mean, you mentioned it, plus 21. And it's funny, the top oh. three guys in on-offs, Isaiah Joe, Lindy Waters, and Mike Muscala. What do they all have in common? They just shoot the basketball. And that's going to be a thing. And I'm just so curious to see how they make like a core piece if it's within the draft or a trade or like how do you get a actual core player that is just a knockdown shooter? Like how do you get, and it's like impossible to find these guys, but how do you get like your version of Clay Thompson that's just like a floor spacer that can defend, that's got size. Uh, but Isaiah Joe has been just a joy on this Thunder team. Something that the Thunder have needed for a long time and that they've tried through like guys like Daquan Cook and Anthony Morrow. And there's been guys in the past that have just been shooters, but Isaiah Joe's got a little bit more juice than those guys do. Like defensively, he's decent and he's not, he's not huge or anything, but he can defend. Like he, he racked up two steals and a block last night. Uh, he is a guy that will, he had this dunk the other night. I think it was against the Celtics that was just like, I didn't know that was possible. So he's got he's got a little bit more juice than a lot of people think. And right now it's they have they'll basically need one roster spot because they're gonna have one pick in this next draft. And so that will likely be Darius Baisley moved out, that draft pick moved in. The following offseason, they have four first rounders. And you have all these rookie scale guys I don't expect them to take four guys but still it's maybe they leave with two okay like now who goes and they're they're gonna have to make some really interesting decisions over the next couple of years and Isaiah Joe is gonna be one of them like how does Joe develop how does he mesh with these guys over the course of the back half of this season and all of next season like maybe he is that guy maybe that's okay Trey Mann has not developed Trey Mann can't stay on the court he's gonna be the one that goes and Joe stays that wouldn't shock me, uh, but yeah, just a an outstanding pickup from from Presti. And I don't know, is he already one of the top five best free agents the Thunder have ever signed? I mean, he might be. That's a, that's going to be a depressing list if we start if we start <laughs> making that list. We, we um, don't have to do that. <laughs> um, with all these picks, by the way, uh, among them is the Russ picks are starting to come due now. In twenty twenty four, they have the Rockets pick. Top four protected, and that's yeah. it. And I don't know if you've watched the Rockets lately, but oh, yeah. they are just making sport out of throwing the ball to the other team. The turnovers yeah. are just incredible. This is why the Harden rumors, this is part of why, although I would think it's not a great idea for the Rockets, they're going to be under enormous pressure some way, somehow, to not be bad next season. They have an unprotected heat pick, potentially in 2026. They got a lot yep. of stuff, which means we might see more of these okay, let's target a guy we really like in the draft. We'll give you two picks to move up five spots and get this guy. So let's go through the draft day trades and see how we feel about them. Trade number one, Mm -hmm. Ricky Rubio and the 25th and 28 picks in the 2020 draft for Poku. How are we feeling about that trade two-plus years out? 
Uh, in my heart, I feel really great just because I love having Poku on the Thunder. Uh, he has gotten better. He was not he bad is, this season. I argued with Bill yeah. about this briefly. He's not just a like a punchline anymore. No, no, because he can he can protect the rim a little bit. He's getting stronger now. That's going to be the thing. Is like, can he actually put on muscle like any? Like that's going to keep him from actually competing in the league. But he's skilled. He can bring the ball up the floor. His maybe he should go the other. Maybe he should go the other way and just put on fat. They just start eating horribly. <laughs> Give up the muscle and just see if you can become like just just like a fat guy, just like a tall fat guy. And maybe you don't lose any speed. But maybe this the Thunder should hire me as a sports science consultant. They show him film of Charlotte Boris Diaw, and they're like, "This, this is your destiny right here." Is that a bad um, idea, Boris Diaw? <laughs> no, no, he's been he's been good. He's still super young. That's the thing. He's like he's only twenty one years old. There's still time for him. But he, in order for him to like make it and like make it with this roster, like I said, they're going to have slots to fill with these draft picks upcoming, and they're going to have opportunities for trade. He's got to take another step forward. He took a big step forward this season. Last year, you're having conversations about him being in the G League, about do they even pick up his fourth-year option. And now it's like, oh, yeah, of course they're going to pick up his fourth-year option. Like, are they going to give him a second deal? Like He's got he's to show something for him to get that, but he's definitely improved. I feel pretty good. I mean, he's only the 17th pick. It's not like he was like the ninth pick in the draft. So, you know, you feel fine about it. The picks they gave up became Jaden McDaniels and Emmanuel quickly, which makes it hurt a little bit, but they, that pick was, that trade was done on the clock before those guys were there. And those yeah. were the picks. Um, yeah. And, and those it's hard with the, I mean, with the draft and with draft trades, like you can, it, it, it's tough. Like, that's the guy they wanted. They got him. Were the other two guys better? Yes. Would it make sense for either team to trade for Poku with just one of those guys? Nope. Um, so, yeah. I mean, if you look at it that way, it's probably not great. But he also fits what the Thunder want. And that's a guy that can make a decision with the basketball, too. So, you know, we'll, we'll see on Poku. But he's at least fine. I've got, I've got two Poku-signed uh, fanny packs here in my office. Um, that are just Does he wear fanny adult. packs? Is that a thing? That's his thing. Yeah, he wears fanny packs. He actually that's a, red, that's a red flag. That should be in the draft report. Wears fanny packs. He partnered with a local company called Shopgood here, and they made custom Poku packs. And it's uh, yeah, I would I would have knocked him down three spots on the draft board. <laughs> Let's talk about a guy who makes good decisions. They made the reverse of that trade at the next draft, getting two protected first round picks from the Rockets who traded up for Alper and Shengun. Yeah. And if you've been watching the Rockets lately, I just made fun of them. One thing you can't make fun of is that dude is good. Like that dude's yeah. already good. He's good now. Yeah. Um, is there Shengun regret or is this just the cost of doing business in the NBA? Sometimes these things happen. Like how much do, Ro- do Thunder fans sit there and think we're talking about what big's going to be on the team next year? Well, we have Chet maybe so we don't care that we don't have Shengun. Is there any Shengun regret? There's not, if only for the reason that the defense stuff would be really tough in OKC. Like, I don't know how he gets on the court for Mark because he's – it's just hard to build around a center that doesn't play defense. And I think See, I'm going to push, I'm gonna push back on that a little bit. I don't think okay. he's as bad as people are making him out to be because okay. – now, is he good? No, but for his yeah. age – he tries hard and he's smart and you can hear him talking 
to his teammates in a way that mm-hmm. suggests he's the only guy on the floor that actually like knows what the offense is trying to do. And he gets vertical. Like I, I get what you're saying. I just don't think I don't think he's as bad as people think. And given where he is developmentally, I think there's a roadmap to where he becomes an okay defensive center. Now sure. Chet, now Chet could yeah. be an A defensive center is the is the real point. Yeah, that and that's part of why there's no regret in Oklahoma City about it. And they essentially use those picks to get Jang. And so it's going to be like this. Two of them, right? Two of them. That's the third draft they traded. They traded three yeah. protected first round picks for the number 11 pick, two of which are those the picks they got from Houston, which are not mm-hmm. Houston picks and blah, 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 blah. Right, right. And now it's funny. I, was, I actually did a podcast with a guy uh, that covers the Rockets. And he was like, it's going to be like this Shangun Jang thing down the road. Like, which was the right decision to make? And it's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, it it could be that like neither one of them really mattered that much to the Thunder uh, at the end of the day. But yeah, I don't. There's not a big regret, at least from like Thunder fans. And uh, you know, the Thunder made a a decision that they thought Shangun was not going to be elite. Like if he's if he's this player and he's elite, like yeah, huge mistake they made. But if he's if he's like Vucevic, who's a good player and a player that has gotten a max that's a, contract. That, that, that's, that's a good name. That's a good name. Not necessarily. I don't think stylistically they're going to be that similar, but in terms of like where you rank them at their peak, that's yeah. a good cutoff point. If he ends up peaking at like the 40th best player in the NBA, then mm-hmm. you won't regret it. Right. That's the point. Yeah. Like yeah. That. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Just that if he's as comp, like that competent defensively where it's still like, okay, he's not horrible, but, we have to make some plans around him to make this work. And I, th- I think that that's, a, that's something that the Thunder didn't really want to have to do. And so they, they definitely took a risk on passing on him. Do you think the, all these picks, we're talking about how they're going to use all these picks. You know, it's always popular to talk about, like, who's the next disgruntled star in the NBA? You know, sure. what What such player with years on his contract would, would actually like to come to Oklahoma City? Do you think that's even a conversation within the Thunder brass? Or is this more like, well, we did it the last time just building through the draft. We already have a lot of good players. Like, maybe we should just try to keep those players. Like, I, I've not heard any – I mean, it's too early probably, but that's not yeah. a – Thunder looking for next guy is not a is not a thing I hear a lot in the rumor system. No, they don't even know what they have now, and so if you're looking for them to make some kind of deal to improve the roster anytime soon, even within like the next two years, like nope. I mean, the the minute they started winning, Thunder fans are like on message boards, like how do we get OG Ananobi? Can we get him onto the team? It's like guys, like it's it's too soon. Like OG plays the same position as a guy they just traded three first round picks for. Like they're not going to make that kind of deal today, and they want to be able to pay all their guys. And if you deal for a guy that is going to make thirty million, like you can't or, pay or, all your guys, or has one year left on his contract and may look around and be like, I didn't choose this place. Like there, I don't know if I want to be yeah, here. There is no way they would trade for somebody that has even two years left on their deal. Like there's just, I just don't see that path there. Now, if they become a title contender and they have the surplus of picks still, and somebody comes available, that's got like two or three years left. And it's like, Hey, we're, we're right there. And if we, if we make this deal now, 
like we become a contender and we don't really lose all that much. Like, sure. And ownership's got to sign off of it. Like, whatever. Like, it's got to, it has to make a ton of sense. Right now, I don't think that's on the horizon at all. I don't think that any trade, honestly, to improve the roster is on the horizon. I think it's, we like our guys. We want to give them a chance to develop. Like, this year and next year are going to be a lot of just, like, observation. Like, what do we have? Who do we like? Who do we not like? Who's going to be the quote-unquote core of this team? I think that's what the next two years is going to be. And people are going to be pushing for them to make some kind of deal because they're going to get good. I think next year they could be surprisingly good. I don't think if they're 500 now, I don't don't think it would even be a surprise if they're good next year. They're decent now. Yeah, this. Uh, I mean, this might be the the last year if if they don't make the playoffs this year. This might be the last year they don't make the playoffs, like for a while. And they they want to see what their guys have. It's yeah, they're definitely not. They're they're a little bit like Memphis, where it's just like they we like our guys. We want to see our guys develop. If the exact right things comes along, like they have to fit culturally, they have to have years on their deal, they have to have all these things. Like if they if you can check every box, cool, let's do it. If not, they're not looking. Um, let's wrap briefly on SGA, who has been ridiculous, um, should probably start the all-star game for the Western Conference, is a legit all-NBA player. Um, we all know that. I just want to, you know, it's now that they're tied with the Clippers. That's where we open, right? They're now tied with the Clippers. There's yeah. all this, should the Clippers regret this, right? And I and I quoted that anonymous front office guy before about who, who was nailed this trade completely at the time. And you hear all this talk now about, well, I mean, Shea's just straight up better than Paul George now. Like, like boy, that's a disaster for the Clippers. And, yeah, Shea's better than Paul George. I mean, I, I, I love Paul George. And in a playoff series, let's see if he can stay healthy. I think that's a conversation I, that I don't know if it's a no-brainer in, like, a big-time playoff series if Shea's better than Paul George. But let's just posit that he is. That's, that was baked into this from the beginning – like, yeah. the Clippers really love Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I'm not sure they thought he would be this good, this fast, or maybe ever, but they really, really loved him, and they knew that there was a world where almost four years after the trade, he might be better than Paul George straight up. That's not the point. What that underscores is how badly the Clippers need to turn this season around now because the yeah. whole point of that making that risk that we might trade a guy who will be better than our guy in four years is like, we got to win before those four years are up. And yeah, they got to the conference finals. Kawhi was injured. Maybe that was their year, whatever. This is why there's this like, are they awake over there? Like, do these guys care? Do the stars want to play on a back-to-back ever in Los Angeles? Because yeah, playing for May and June, that's great. Like they're eighth. And so I don't like, yeah, Shea's been better than PG straight up. I, I don't think that it makes makes that trade like any more risky or whatever for the Clippers than it was at the time. We all knew what it was. It underscores that the fact that they haven't done enough in years one, two, three, and four is like a disaster for the Clippers. Um, but man, you must have a ball watching this dude. I said on TV once, trying to guard him is like trying to catch a fish with your bare hands. You just can't. It's like over here. It's over there. Like I don't know what what direction his head's going this way. His tail's going that way. Like you can't catch him. Yeah. The f- the fact that like you just can't stop him when he's going left too is just like I mean that's in the, every single scouting report like don't let the guy get left and he finds a way to get there and it's through just like stopping and starting 
He can hit a shot pretty much anywhere inside the arc at any time. And he finds these windows that that shouldn't exist. He'll do a one-on-three fast break and just create a window in between the defenders. So you're just, I don't know how he sees that. I don't know how he does it. And if you plug his stats into Stathead, 30.5 points per game, 4.9 boards, 5.5 assists, 1.7 steals, 1.1 blocks, there's one player other than Shea that comes up. And it's 87, 88 Michael Jordan. I was gonna that was gonna be my guess. It's gotta be MJ. The blocks and steals, it's like it's gotta be MJ. No one else is doing this. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that has changed the most, probably for Shea. Like he offensively, he's gotten better. He's getting to the free throw line a ton. He's hitting 90% on 10 attempts a game. Like that's ridiculous. But his attention to detail on defense this season and his willingness to compete on that end has changed his game quite a bit. And Mark talks about this a lot. He talks about this with Giddy as well, that they play with force on both ends. And the force that they play on defense adds to their force on offense. Like, it just stays the same the whole time for both of them. And that that's why they're winning. I mean, that's why since, I think, December 16th, they they were 11 and 18 on December 16th. They've gone 11 and 6 since then. Like, that's why. Like, it's it's... It's the force that they both play with on the defensive end, and it sets the tone. You also have Dort and Kenrich out there that just don't stop. Like, they they don't have an off switch at all. Like, those dudes are just – they're amazing to play with for those guys. And But Shea, I don't think anybody could have seen this coming for him. And that's why also you can't blame the Clippers. Like, really, you think that he was going to put up the same stats as 87, 88 Jordan? Like, I don't think so. Like, that's that's a ridiculous thought. But he continues to stay humble. You talk to him after the game, like he, at least he says he doesn't care that much about the attention that he's getting. Like he's, he says he wants to stay inside the four walls of the organization. And like, I don't know if that's just him being coached up or how he really I was, feels. I was going to say, they, they, they've, they've thunderfied him. He's part of the cult now. <laughs> if he's saying four walls of the organization. Yeah. No, he, but he's, He's delightful. Like he's and he's just he's down to earth. Like almost every Thunder player is down to earth. You wouldn't know that a lot of these guys were NBA players except for the fact that they're just like giant human beings. Um, but they're all just good guys. And Presti, after he drafted Giddy um, and Trey Mann and Aaron Wiggins and those guys, he said that they he's like I want to draft people, you know, first and then players. And that's something that, like honestly, in the moment you kind of roll your eyes at, like okay. Like that, that's cool. Like that's, that seems like it's for the fans, but you actually interact with these guys. You're like, Oh, like that is actually true. Like these guys are actually good guys, which kind of helps contribute to the chemistry they have and all of that. And Shay is the leader of that. Like he, he brings an energy everywhere he goes. The players love him. Uh, and he's just become one of the best players in the league, you know, seemingly out of nowhere. He just gets better almost every single year he plays basketball. And the best part about all this winning is that no one is asking me anymore around the league. What are they going? Are they going to trade SGA? Like, how many picks should we trade? That, that's all. And I was pushed. I pushed back yeah. on that from the beginning. In every platform yeah. we have, I said, "Can we stop talking about this? It's not going to happen." Uh, yeah. And as far as expectations and force go, 
as they're they've started winning, Dagnalt has become a quick timeout guy, which I really like. Like now there are stakes. Like if you mess up on defense forty five seconds into the second quarter, here he comes stomping on the floor with his with his uh, you know black sweatshirt and black pants, the most boring outfits possible for the whole coaching staff. Timeout, timeout, timeout. Andrew Schlecht, um, I love listening to you. You got people who aren't listening to him at the Athletic. He knows the Thunder better than anybody in the media. Um, I appreciate you joining me for this. I didn't think I would be talking about the Thunder for 38 minutes at any point this season. I'm super excited to. Um, thanks for lending me some of your time, sir. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate it, man. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. All right, let's bring in from the Western Conference leading Denver Nuggets, shooting 47% on threes. That's kind of ridiculous. NBA champion with the Los Angeles Lakers, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Great off day. Uh, just relaxing right now. 32-13. and 13. You were on the Wizards last season. Um, the... The trade that sent you to Denver was kind of polarizing, actually, weirdly, among sort of NBA media, people who grade the trades and stuff like that. I loved it right away because I knew you'd be a great fit with Jokic and how they play. How did you learn about it, and what was your first reaction to it? Well, when I, I, the morning I woke up, I had about, about, about 20 missed calls about this trade um, from my agent. Um, to my wife trying to figure out what's going on, like all the rumors they've been hearing. Um, but when I found out about it, I mean, at first it was just rumors, uh, but I kind of knew it would, it was going to happen because of, um, you know, the relationship we, uh, as far as like I had, you know, uh, with one of the coaches here, uh, we talked about it a lot. Uh, even that um, year I won a championship, they talked about they really, really liked me. They wanted it, they wanted me that, uh, then, um, and they just made it happen, you know. And I was excited to be a part of, uh, you know, Denver, you know, a, a contender for the playoff, and then the one goal that we uh, we want to reach is uh, being being a champion. You played against the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals in the bubble in 2020, uh, and after you got traded to Denver, you you in your first interview there, you talked about how you could tell then that that team, like that wasn't just a walkover for you guys in the conference finals that year, that that team had potential 
to do some some special things. Um, what what why did uh, kind of why did you think that it was a four one series? They were kind of a young team. The bubble was weird. What was so convincing to you about about that nucleus? Um, just watching them the the previous uh, uh, series they had against the uh, Clippers. No, and, and and things like that. Just just watching them before and then watching them during the season, how they play, how hard they play, the resilience, resiliency. Um, it just stood out to me. And then I, once we started playing them, uh, I, we went up two uh, one. I felt like, um, or it was one one. I felt like if if AD when they make that shot, you know, that was my feeling, my opinion. I feel like they would have won the series. They had the momentum going into it. Um, and they had a game plan um, that we couldn't stop, you know. Uh, and I felt like it, if they, if we wouldn't, if AD wouldn't have made that big huge at three, uh, it, it would have been a whole different series. Um, you were on the court for that for that shot. I, I rewatched it just before this. You're on the weak side. I mean, that was a play call for AD. Was there a part of you that was like, man, I wish that play call was for me. I, I, I'm ready to take that <laughs> shot. Like, what do you remember about that huddle um, and, and, and that and the reaction to that shot? The play was for anybody to get a wide open shot. You know, whoever was open was going to get the ball. Um, and I feel like um, at the time, uh, Plumlee and uh, Yoke had a, a – a mis- miscommunication there, and AD ended up being wide open, and we just got the ball to him, and he he, he knocked it down. Uh, wasn't expecting him to be that open, um, but he ended up knocking it down, and that that saved that series for us. What's different? What what have you learned about Jokic playing with him that you couldn't know or didn't know from just watching him playing against him? I mean, we all know he's great; he's a two time MVP. But what's different playing for him, playing with him? Uh, he's very, he's very unselfish. Like, he don't care who's scoring, who don't, he don't care who's like having a hot game or whatever. Like, he's a willing passer, and one of the reason why I'm shooting the percentage that I'm shooting now. Like, if you open, you're gonna get the ball. If it's turnover or not, you know he. And that's one thing he don't worry about, and that's one thing I like about him. Uh, he's willing to pass the ball, uh, regardless of if. If he think you're open, if you're not open, you know, um, and and it's just been fun playing with him. You know, he just getting to know him. You know, his his touch around the basket is just unreal. Uh, and then like we just now we just stop cr- congratulating him because he get a triple double then then in every game. Uh, but you know, it's just it's just amazing just to play with him, man. It's, it's just a different feeling. Like, I, I feel. Like I'm at my best right now. You pl- you are one of only a few players, and I know Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan are two of the others that have played with LeBron and with Jokic. Um, that's that's going to be a rare club and a special club to be a part of, I think. And my it inspired my producer Dan. He's like, you got to ask KCP. What's the best pass anyone has ever thrown you? And I'm like, he's not going to remember that. But uh-huh. I got to ask, like, is there a pass that stands out in your career? Not necessarily from one of those guys that you're like, man, I can't believe that guy found me there. The, that happened this year. Uh, and that was only, uh, I want to say that was preseason game against Golden State. He wasn't even looking at me. They threw the ball. Jamal threw the ball. Not Jamal, but uh, our point guard at the time threw the ball to him at the nail. Um, and he wasn't even, he had his back turned to me now. I wasn't even ready for the ball, but it, it was there on time, on target. And I just knocked down the shot. Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't even think he seen me open. 
Uh, and then just talking to one of my coaches, he was like, yeah, that's what he does. He's not even looking at you. He's looking at the man that's guarding you. And I didn't think he seen me open, and he, he got there on time with target, and it was a knockdown shot for sure. Are you I, in the corner? Are you in the corner for that? I, for that? I, I'm always in the corners. Now, I know you're you always you're, you're, you're <laughs> always weak. You're I, moving I around. You're moving corner. around a lot, though. You're not. You're, you 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 can shoot off movement and you cut hard, which is I think one of the reasons you're a good a good fit um, with Nicola. Oh, I, irony of um of you playing on the Nuggets now. Someone with the Lakers told me. Ask KCP how he got the nickname the Beeper in the bubble playoffs. So please tell the world how you got the nickname the Beeper in the bubble. Um, that nickname came. Uh, I forget who was playing that series. I think it was. I think it was I wanna, Denver. I want to say, uh, man. I want to say it was Portland before Denver. I want to okay. say. Okay. Um, and. It just seemed like I had me and Alex Caruso. I had the toughest matchup, you know, every night. Um, and for some reason, the name just—I forgot who said it. I want to say it was somebody gave it to me, and it was just the nickname stuck because of how how close I am, or like how how I'm hip to everybody that I play. You know, who I guard. You know, it, it's hard to get away from me, and the beeper just seemed fit because it's always on your hip. Um, so it, 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 the name, I like the name, uh, I still use it, uh, to this day, you know, um, but it, it, it was just because of just how connected I was defensively, uh, and, and guard my man one-on-one. Uh, you have talked about this already this year, but it's a continuing storyline. When you watch the Lakers play, are you still like. I can't believe what happened to the team that won the championship and and what they've done and what they've become around Bron. Uh, yeah, man, I, I do. I do seem. I, I, me, for my opinion, I, I I didn't think they should have broke the team up, that championship team. Uh, but that's not here or there for me. That's that's the business side of it. Um, but I feel like they they took a lot of their core pieces and just broke them up. And that would really just hold the core pieces there held everything together uh, as far as that championship team and like anything around LeBron and AD. Um, I, I feel like there was just, for me, my opinion, I, I feel like they, they, they rushed into trying to like do something new. Um, and it, it didn't turn out how they wanted to turn out. Normally I would ask you something about, um, do you guys internally think you can win the championship this year? But I don't have to ask you that because you're 32 and 13. I know you guys think internally you can win the championship this year. So what I'll ask you instead is when you think about that, and that's a journey you've been on, you know how hard it is to win four straight playoff series against four different opponents. What's over these last 35 games or whatever, what are, what are the areas that you think you guys as a team need to tighten up or focus on to get to that place where you can win four playoff series in a row? Um, I'll say there's always improvement on the defensive end because I, for me, defense does win championships. Um, off the offensive game is, is tremendous. Like, we don't have to worry about putting the ball in the basket. Um, I feel like if we can focus more on the, on the defensive end, um, help each other out, hold each other accountable, you know, uh, let the person know like, Hey, you're supposed to be here. Like, you know, and be able to take that criticism 
um, and, 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 and just level up, you know, just take that and just going out, out in the game and just do better. Um, and I feel like we, that's, that's one of our big things that we need, you know, just to be more consistent on that end. Um, I feel like we, if we can do that, I would be unstoppable. What is that? What is being consistent entail for you guys? Because your your base scheme is pretty aggressive. Joker likes to come up to the level of the pick. You guys got to help inside, x out outside, and all that. Yeah. Like what, what? So when you talk about like drilling I down would, into that, what is it that you got to get more just, consistent at? Just to break it down, I would say be more consistent communicating and like um, in our rotations. Um, when we have to rotate, uh, we seem we seem to get lost a lot. Uh, but we do make it up for our effort. Um, but the more we can clean that up, uh, and also rebounding, uh, we gotta, we gotta be able to rebound, to, uh, get out and push what we best at in transition and on, on the offensive end. Um, so the more we can communicate, you know, be good on our rotations and rebound, uh, that it just put our defense to where we need to be. Yeah. You guys, Denver historically with Jokic has been kind of a slow paced team. I love it when you guys get out and run just like five or six right. more possessions a game because you fly up and down the court. Obviously, in Jokic, you have one of the best outlet passers ever. AG's been a good outlet passer. Like, is that a point of emphasis? Like, we don't got to be like the seven seconds or less Suns or something, but let's like just snap it up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, our, our pace is one of the top pace in the league, you know, even with Jokic out on the floor. Like, you know, we, we get touchdown passes to him sometimes. You That's know, right. Uh, so uh, when we in transition, like we 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 rarely miss, and we we capitalize on on, on, on when we in transition. So like the the more we can rebound, like I said, and, and get out what we best at, like it's, they like to get more possession, like you said. Uh, forget celebrating Jokic triple doubles. That's 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 old hat, as you said. I feel like you guys need some ceremonial uh, marker. For every time Jeff Green just dunks somebody into oblivion, uh, because that that dude is too old yeah, to be doing I, what he's doing. Like, is there something you guys do to commemorate these? Like, oh my God, Jeff Green just killed a guy on the court. Um, I miss him out there on the court. Um, that's my guy, Jeff. Um, but um, I, I always ask him, I was like, what, like, what do you do? Like, there's no way you jumping like that at this age. You know, he was like, man, I don't ice. I don't do nothing now. I was like, like, what is it? He was like, it's just, he said his regimen is water, uh, beet juice, and sleep. Like, that's it. Like, I was like, that's all you do? <laughs> I beet was juice. Like, but, yeah, he's like, man, he, he's, a, he's one of a kind athlete, man. And I, I love playing with Jeff. Like, he's, he's funny in the locker room. He's a great locker room guy. Like, and just to have that, you know, that older veteran guy, Already there, that been through it with Jokic. I, you know, he's helped me out a lot just to being being able to play with Jokic. You guys do the defensive player of the game chain. Are you are you leading? Do you keep track of who has the most of them? Are you leading? I know I, I've been told you have like double digit games now of getting the chain. Do you know who's number one? Uh, Jokic was number one before my three games feel. I have I got three games back to back for a defensive player. There so you I go. Think that put that put me at the top. Um, as far as like, I got like seven now, and he has like six. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's random how they give it out. Um, 
because I know uh, some guys got it. You know, Maul, Jamal got it one time. Like, he's played his first back-to-back. It's like how many games it was, you know. Uh, it's just like how coaches feeling, you know. Uh, but the last three um, three games, it's just been defense. And I feel like that's what my mindset has been. Uh, I'm trying to ramp that up a little bit more just to get my teammates, you know, get their energy going, their effort going on, uh, for them. Um, and I feel like it's been working. That said, I have been told you would like to be in the three-point shootout. Is that have you been in it? Have you been in it before? And you you would like to do it because then you got to uh, you know instead of five days on the beach, you got to go to Utah where it's probably going to be cold. You got to do all sorts of press and events and all this stuff. You really want this? Uh, I was trying. I'm trying, um, but I don't. I don't know how the format is and how they you know select uh, guys to get into the three point contest. Um, I know I tried it uh, like two years ago to get into it, and it was it was hard to get into it. It was like for like I had to promote this, you know, do that. Uh, so it's a lot of I, I don't know right now. I have my agent and stuff on that, you know, trying to push to get me into it. Um, if not, it, it'd be okay too. I I take the five days of on the beach as well. <laughs> what's the What's the money ball rack for you? What's the sweet spot rack? Uh, left corner. Everyone oh, loves the corner one. racks. Yeah, left corner is my best corner though. Like I, like I'm shooting 55 percent in that corner. Um, so it, it's one of my well, I'm, I'm more comfortable at like taking the ball off the rat and just like getting to my rhythm. Um, so that would be my money rack, if, if if anything. So I am not a big social media person, but somebody <laughs> alerted me to your wife's social media presence in her YouTube channel, Mackenzie's yeah. Mackenzie MCP. Um, and I watched a few MCP videos. So I got I was like, I got to learn some off the beaten path facts about KCP. So, so fact number one, you guys did like a newlywed game style thing. Biggest fears was one of the questions you had to answer about each other. Your biggest fear was roller coasters. Is that a real thing? You're that that's the number one fear. That's a real thing. Besides, what happened to you? Was this a childhood trauma of some kind? Yeah, it was a childhood trauma, uh, and I haven't, I haven't touched a roller coaster since then. What uh, happened? Even, even my kids be trying to get me on, and I'll be like, "Yeah, uh, y'all can have that." Um, so I was about eight years old, and we was at a, like a, a fair. Me, my mom, my dad, my brother, we had a fair, and. You know, the, the boats, the ride, the boats that goes back and forth. Yeah, oh yeah, the pirate ship so thing that, that sways up and down. Yeah. Thing. So, eight-year-old skinny kid, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down, and I'm not really clamped in, so I'm not like secured. Like the thing is all the way down, I'm still like moving back and forth. And as it get up, in the, like the highest point, I kind of come out my seat and almost fall out of it. The only way it saved me, the, the, the boat came back down and caught me. And I screamed so loud to get off of it. They stopped it. My dad had to carry me the whole time. I, I couldn't, my legs wasn't there at all. So he had to carry me for the rest of the park the whole time we was there. You know, <laughs> so that's, I never got on a roller coaster from there. I never did that. Anything. That's fair. I was prepared to, to gently mock you and push you to face <laughs> your fears. No, that's fair. No. Like, I wouldn't go on a roller coaster again. Nah. And just like what just verified my my fear is just the the, the videos we've been seeing about all these roller coasters breaking down, 
people dying and stuff like that, man, I, I just can't do it. <laughs> I'm I'm not aware that that's a thing. I'm and I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to watch anybody. No, I will I, say though. I will say, uh, Mackenzie, Mackenzie did a whole video. I watched half of it on the story of how you guys met. Okay. And she, she was a little, she was, she, she outed you a little bit in the sense that like we were at a bar, we were at a club and like, he didn't even have, he didn't even have the courage or he was too shy to come up and actually talk to me. He had to send an emissary, a middleman over to talk to me. And say, hey, More that like guy a, over there wants to talk to you. Is that is that fair? Is that an accurate rendition of things? That's accurate, but more like a, a middle woman. It was middle it woman. Was a, okay, yeah, it was a lady, a, uh, one of her friends um, that that was there at the club. I asked her like, hey, can you introduce me? You know, yeah, I was a shy guy at the time. I was what 19, 20? Of course, I was. Um, so we had a little conversation then in the um, in the lounge. Uh, I invited her to the uh, game the next day. We played up playing Dallas, um, and after that, we talked for uh, about six months straight. Facetime, no, no regular phone call, just Facetime. Uh, after the six months, that's when I asked her to be my girlfriend, and that's it. Just took off from there. <laughs> Look at that! All right, last one because I know you're a busy man. You guys won the bubble championship. In in twenty years, thirty years, ten years, when we when we, I I didn't get to go to the bubble because we had just moved and we had a bunch of family stuff going on, so I'm just fascinated to always hear people tell me what it was like. You guys were there the whole time. Your family was with you for, if not the whole time, a lot of that time. You end up winning the championship, and there's videos of you celebrating there at Disney World or whatever the whatever the places they had you celebrating. So I just when you either see old teammates 15, 20 years from now, whatever it is, when you think about the bubble, what's a story or two or a memory or two that are always going to come to your head of like, man, that was such a crazy time. Remember this. Like, what? what's the remember this? Uh, I think it would just be the championship because we didn't have – when we first got to the bubble, we had everything, you know, like where we can go play arcade game, the arcade, the movies, stuff like that. We can have fun. And then once they started letting family in, they shut everything down, you know. So so it was like more just eat room, you know, whether that's all you got. And then you can hang out and like they had like a little player lounge for all, all the players to go to um, where we could go on the top floor, play like ping pong, like video games, eat snacks and stuff like that. Just hang out. Uh, that might have been the only coolest thing that we, we had that whole time we was there. Um, but the – the only thing I probably will remember is is, is the championship like that I will re- re- reminisce about uh, with my in twenty years, and that 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 would be it. But the one thing I do like regret is not just having that parade. You know, like everybody got a chance after that, um, and we never we didn't get the chance uh, due to COVID. Uh, I felt like I I wanted that experience, so trying to get it again. That's a good way to end it. Contavious Caldwell Pope, um, you're having a great season. You've you've fit like a glove in Denver. Um, if you do get into the three point shootout, good luck. If you don't, enjoy the downtime and uh, keep up the good work. And I'll, I'll see you around the block. KCP, everybody. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.